Don't worry about spiking inflation, we're being told. It's only temporary, they're telling us. Well, respected economist Steve Hankey disagrees. He warns that inflation may keep rising, potentially all the way up to 9% by the end of the year. And as it does, he sees it strangling economic growth and dragging stock prices down, undoing much of the recovery seen over the past year. And this always happens when you start increasing the money supply excessively like they've been doing. Asset prices go up and then eventually the real economy kicks in and it goes. And, and then ultimately inflation comes and, and of course starts taking it all away. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about how to build your wealth. The current fiat incarnation of the US dollar just turned 50 this week, a week where America just retreated in ignominy from its longest war ever, the two-decade invasion of Afghanistan. If the fiat US dollar is largely backed by the might of America's military machine, will the failure to suppress the Taliban after 20 years of attempt weaken the world's confidence in the dollar? To address that, as well as the currency devaluation risks posed by the further trillions of dollars of stimulus being considered by world legislatures, we welcome on one of the foremost currency and economic experts. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Steve Hankey to the program. Steve is Professor of Applied Economics at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. He advises many heads of state throughout Asia, Europe, South America, and the Middle East, and was a senior economist on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors back in the 1980s. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Adam. Well, Steve, look, I know it's a very busy week for you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to talk with me and our listeners. Um, as we start here, I've got a bunch of questions prepared, but I would like to just ask you the general question I ask all our guests, just so I'm not introducing any potential biases here at the start. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? The current assessment is inflation, inflation, inflation. And, and, and the reason I say that, uh, are, it's really twofold. One is that the Federal Reserve Bank, as well as the establishment in Washington, D.C., as well as the markets, by the way, are pretty convinced that the inflation spike that we've seen recently with the consumer prices now going up, you know, 5.4 percent per year. It's the highest rate we've had for quite, a, quite some time. Is, is all of, that's just temporary. It, it's 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 going going to go away very soon. It, it, it's a fluke. We've got these supply chain problems as as the economy starts opening up from COVID uh, lockdowns all over the world and that kind of thing. And and I think that is simply incorrect because inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon that I'm quoting Milton Friedman. He taught us that sounds familiar. Yeah. Milton taught us this a long time ago. And, and uh, what is the monetary phenomenon? You have to ask what's been going on with the money supply. Well, since COVID in March of 2020, the, the 
money supply broadly measured M2, which is a broad measure that the Fed uses, has gone up 24%. Now it's it's in the last couple months, it's down the growth year over year is running around 12%. But those are very high numbers. So the high the 24% is the highest number over a long stretch that we've seen since World War II. And what this means is that we will get more inflation. Inflation is always everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Monetary policy dominates everything. So the, the idea we have to look at is well, how much more inflation will we have and, and how long will it last and why, why is it not temporary? Uh, it's, it's not temporary because we you go, you go to something called the equation of exchange and it's a, it's a simple little identity, MV, M is money, V is its velocity, equals P, the price index, that would be like the CPI, and Y is the real rate of output growth in the economy. And this is a back of the envelope exercise. If, if you solve for M, so in, in, in that little identity, we have the following numbers to plug in. 2% is the inflate, that's P, that's the inflation target of the Fed. So that's 2%. The potential growth rate in the economy, that's Y, that's, that's about 2%. And the velocity goes down in a trend of about 2% per year, negative slowing down 2% per year. So if we add the two plus two, and then the last thing actually is a minus, a minus, which is a plus two, you get 6%. And 6% is the rate of growth that M2, the broad money supply should be growing at if you want to hit that 2% target that I plugged into that equation of exchange. So as you can see, we have what? The money supply since COVID has been growing four times that rate, 24%. And even in the last couple of months, it's been growing twice that rate. So we are set for inflation by the end of this year. I think it's going to be in the 6% to 9% range by the end of this year. And that probably will continue into 2022. So this is all baked in the cake. We, we already have the numbers. You just plug in the, plug in the numbers to that equation of exchange, MV equals PY, which by the way, Milton Friedman on his California license plates and his old Cadillac, his California plate said MV equals PY. He had the equation of exchange on that California plate. Now, of course, the equal sign in there how did that get there? Well, Milton took some electrician's tape, some black tape, <laughs> and taped the equal sign on. And he told me he, the California Highway Patrol kept pulling him over because, of course, he had an illegal license plate. And Mil Milton would get out of the car and walk around and look at the plate. And he says, oh, those damn neighbor kids keep putting tape on my license. <laughs> so... so so at any rate, the equation of exchange in California, where you are, Adam, it, it was getting around in the old days when Milton was around and driving his caddy. <laughs> he, he, had a, 
he had the equation of exchange. So, so, so the, that's why I say inflation, inflation, inflation. It, it is not going to be temporary. It is baked in the cake. It is a monetary phenomenon. You don't read about this in the paper. The journalists, by the way, follow the drumbeat of the Fed and they just repeat whatever the Fed is saying. The Fed says it's temporary, it's going away, it's a flash in the pan, and that's what the journalists say. The, the curious thing is that the markets are essentially buying into the same story. I mean, the inflation expectations in the markets, the bond market, or, or, or also the, the stock market, they, they don't reflect what, I'm, what I am convinced will happen, more inflation. Yeah, uh, I mean, markets just hit an all-time high yesterday, uh, so they're clearly not too worried about it yet, and uh, bond rates for the time being still continue to go lower and lower. Um, one quick question for you before I, I jump into my list of questions, Steve. Um, you have said you expect more inflation going forward, and in fact, you said maybe perhaps as high as nine by the end of the year, which I think caught people's attention. Um, are you predicting inflation, more inflation from here, or are you predicting stagflation from here? You know, you talked about the equation of exchange at uh, 2% growth. Um, we saw, you know, higher growth at the beginning of this year, but that's to be expected both given the low comparisons from a year ago, as well as all the stimulus that's been shoved into the market. But do you see this, uh, the stimulus driving enough growth in that equation to, to keep us in an inflationary environment, or are you worried at all about stagflation? Well, uh, let me make one point, Adam, that uh, this year, e everything is roaring away. Uh, and, uh, the, the Atlanta Federal Reserve, which has a, a, a pretty good model for forecasting where we're going to be in the near term with re real GDP growth, I, I said, plugged into that equation, I put 2% as the potential which is pretty close to the long run potential in the United States. It might be a little bit higher than that, but not very much. This year, the, the Atlanta Fed says we're going we're gonna to have 6% growth. Now, now, that's a three times higher than the potential. So they've goosed everything in the economy. All engines are, are, are roaring at top speed. And that's where we're going to be this year. We're going to have a, a tremendous real GDP growth. We will end with also a lot of inflation. And your next question, stagflation. Now, what is stagflation? That's what we had in the 70s. People don't even remember that. We had high rates of inflation and we had low rates of real GDP growth. So, so stagflation would be a situation where you had not 6% real growth, not even 2% potential, but it would be sagging down something below 2%. And we would have relatively high inflation, obviously over the target of 2% inflation. That, that would be stagflation. Let me say for, for the listeners here, stagflation would be something like, let's say we had five to 10% inflation and, and real GDP growth was like one and a half percent or something like that. That would be stagflation. Which would be bad. I mean, that's the 1970s. For people who weren't weren't around then, it, it was a real nightmare of the highest order, the the worst of all possible worlds. It's very slow real growth, and 
and very high, relatively high inflation, we could conceivably get that because the the, the Washington drumbeat is what we want. We want bigger government. We want more. We want more regulation. We we, we want to goose the 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 federal spending as much as we possibly can, and and that a lot of that federal spending would be financed by monetizing the federal deficit that goes along with it, and in that scenario, it, it's possible to envision stagflation again. It, it's possible. We we'll have to see what they do in Washington, but if if they continue with this this rampage of greater government and greater regulation of the economy, their, their potential will sag. It, 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 and and we, we, let's put it this way, the potential might not sag right away, but the realized real growth will come in below 2%. All right, and is it fair to say that that is the status quo trajectory right now? <laughs> Bigger government, more regulatory control? I, I yes, I, I think that is baked in the cake. Exactly how that works out in the economy, we we don't know yet because we really don't know the particulars. But but big is bad when it comes to government. Big is bad. Big reduces the potential GDP over the long run. It, it's not advertised that way. You listen to President Biden, or, or should we say, the Commander in Chief. Uh, I don't know if he wants that attribution after the fiasco in uh, Afghanistan, but at any rate, uh, the president has indicated all the spending is going to enhance growth because they don't define it as spending. They, they, they define it. They twist words around. They call it investment. Well, it's not investment. It's spending. Right. Although, actually, it's not really spending. It's borrowing. Right at the end of the day, yeah. Well, uh, well, if you spend, Adam, you've got to finance it some way. Exactly. You either have to you have you have to tax, or or you have to borrow. And and it's conceivable if you borrowed everything from the non-bank public, you 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 could uh, proceed without without inflation. The problem is they borrow from banks. That, in, that increases the money supply and that increases inflation, or the Fed monetizes the debt and they in effect borrow from the Fed and that increases the money supply. So if you, if you look at balance sheets, that was what you always have to do in economics, it, it probably will increase the liabilities on the commercial bank balance sheets, more debt, and also increase the liabilities on the Fed balance sheets. And that means that your money supply is going up. Money supply is elevated. Money supply, new, new money, either from commercial banks or the Fed, is financing the so-called investment, which is nothing more than spending. And, 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 and in fact, it always amounts to the same old story. There's a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse associated with it, among other things. And that's why the potential in the economy starts sinking on you. It's it's the waste, fraud, and abuse, and and you have more regulations. Believe me, and any business will tell you what red tape does to their bottom line. It shrinks it. 
Right. It's just a big parasite. Yeah. Um, well, so I just wanted to underscore your point there that it's sold to us as a, a positive, rosy investment that's going to generate, you know, better days ahead. A lot of times it, it doesn't, or at least not to the extent that they've sold it to us as. And, you know, while the positive returns are, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not guaranteed, um, the, the debt that you take on from the spending and the service of that debt is, right? <laughs> that doesn't go away, even if the projected positive returns don't come along with the investment. Right. So. And, 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 right. And Adam, the key thing on these positive returns, I, I, for example, this infa, so-called infrastructure bill, it was just, it, it looks, it was passed by the Senate, 1.2 trillion. So, and, and about a quarter of that, 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 was, that was kind of a con job because only about a quarter of that bill is actually infrastructure. I mean, highways, bridges, water treatment plants, that sort of thing, or hard infrastructure. But in the early 1980s, when I did serve on President Reagan's Council of Economic Advisors, I, I, I was the infrastructure guru. And the president uh, had me assigned to evaluate all these infrastructure proposals. And not, none, of, none of those proposals in that period of time during his first term passed muster with me because the benefits were always less than the cost. So, so all, all of this, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors and all, oh, we're going to have lots of infrastructure projects that are going to generate benefits that are a lot greater than the cost. It's just baloney. It, 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 if you really put a sharp pencil to individual projects that are financed by the federal government, it's very rare that you can find one with benefits greater than cost. All right. So we're kind of blowing up my, my list of questions here because you're getting to the, the heart of where I was going to hope to get through them. Um, but really, it kind of comes down to two things for me, Steve, and I'd love to get your expert insight in this. One is just sort of a solvency issue, right? Which is sort of like, how long can this game continue to be played? You know, America has racked up uh, just tens of trillions of dollars of, of national debt, and the numbers are even scarier when you put private debt on top of that. We're pretty much addicted to record low interest rates at this point, because if rates rise, there's so many um, uh, over leveraged corporations um, and parts of the economy that would just would just crumble under higher rates. Um, so sort of question one is, how much longer can we go on with this before it really becomes a solvency issue? Um, and then secondly, uh, the, this, the inflationary policies that we've been pursuing, um, one of the things that they do is they drive up the, the price of financial assets, um, which are owned by very few people, um, and they also drive up the cost of living, which everybody has to burden. So what that does is it, it creates an accelerating wealth inequality. And I, I wonder if at some point we might be faced with a social breaking point before we would get to a solvency breaking point as a nation. Um, what is your, what's your perspective on that? Well, okay. The, the first thing on solvency, uh, because this, this kind of is a, a you know, we, we, with the exception of, of two years, uh, the last two years of the Clinton administration, Bill, Bill Clinton actually was, was the most fiscally tight president. It was combined with Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House at the time, and, and, and he was faced off against Clinton, and, and they were both smart enough to figure out that 
you know, they, they had to bring, bring in the sales and, and, and practice austerity. That, so that was the policy. And Rubin, remember, was the Secretary of Treasury at the time. So the last two years of Clinton's second term, we, we actually ran fiscal surpluses in the United States. With the exception of those two years, it's always been your deficit, solvency. People ask about solvency, solvency, solvency. So solvency is not a problem as long as you can borrow. And, 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 the, and the borrowing is, it has been facilitated because the dollar is the international currency. And, and we, we have the privilege of being able to borrow rather easily, by the way, and import capital to finance these fiscal deficits. And ultimately, the, the trade deficit is, is a mere image of the fiscal deficit. The reason we have had trade and current account deficits in the United States on the international side of our account since 1975 is because we have fiscal deficits. We, 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 we don't save enough to finance investment in the United States. We have a savings deficiency and that's all, the deficiency all comes from the deficit in the federal government. So all of this goes along and, and we don't have solvency problems. We don't have problems with the, with the current account deficit, with the trade deficit with a fiscal deficit and the, and the key to that is that we can, we have a huge capital market and, and the international currency, the coin of the realm always has been the US dollar really since World War I, since the, since the dollar shoved the pound sterling out of the picture. So as long as that continues, the, there's not a particular problem, let, let us say, in, in terms of your question, which was, Solvency. I mean, that, that, that we, we just don't hit the, the, the brick wall as long as the dollar facilitates all this borrowing. So, so that's one question that you asked. Now, another question that you asked was this business about asset prices going up and the, and, and the income distribution, or shall we say inequality, or what did you call it, social tipping point or something like that? And yeah, that, I just think in terms of a breaking point, it may be social, yeah, versus fiscal. Yeah, that, 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 that is a problem associated with, and, and the Fed creates this. This goes back to the equation of exchange and Milton Friedman's license plate. If you goose the money supply too fast and you have inflation, what happens? How do you get to inflation? You first start there's a lag between goosing the money supply and asset prices going up. That's about one to nine months. You goose the money supply like we've done, this being four times higher than the, the optimal level. The first thing that happens with a lag of about one to nine months, asset prices go up. Well, they have gone up. <laughs> we knew, I, I knew they would go up. I knew the stock market would be great with this goosing of the money supply due to COVID. With a lag of six to 18 months in, Adam, economic activity picks up. Now, this year, Atlanta Fed, that number 6% real growth, we're, we've goosed the economy, the real growth's going. With a lag of 12 to 24 months, then inflation comes into the picture. So 
that's where we're getting to now. That's why these numbers are coming up with the CPI. It's not a temporary thing. It's coming with that 24, 12 to 24 month lag after the goosing of the money supply. So, so, so this creates, obviously, anyone who owns stocks and asset, real asset homes and things like that, they, 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 get, a, they get a good goose. From, from the money supply going up. But they, they do, and I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Steve. I just want to put up a, a picture here very quickly of some stats recently taken from the Federal Reserve that shows that the top 10% of households hold 88.7% of all financial asset wealth in the country. Yeah, let's so see to that. your point, they, they, do, they, they are doing very well. <laughs> Oh, they, they've done beautifully. Uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a, a bonanza. The, and this always happens when you start increasing the money supply excessively, like they've been doing. Asset prices go up, and then eventually the real economy kicks in, and it goes, and and then ultimately inflation comes, and and of course starts taking it all away. Okay, great. So in that progression, it seems like we are maybe somewhere near the tail end of, of step two. So we saw asset prices shoot the moon last year. Um, they're still continue to be at record highs now, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we are seeing the higher economic growth. Um, you, know, you talked about the 6% will probably log this year, um, but we now are beginning to see inflation rise. So we sort of on the, the transition from from the boom uh, into the inflationary period where inflation begins to start taking things away? Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely into the inflation taking things away aspect. But, but uh, of course, the, the key is <laughs> I, I, the lag months that I gave you, for example, the, the, the one to nine month period, that, that's after the initial injection starts. We've been injecting for 18 months almost two years. So, so it isn't ending. I mean, it, it, it isn't a one-shot deal where you get these lags coming in. It, 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 it is, it's going to be going, stretching into 2022, 2023. And that, that would assume that they would cut the money supply growth back to 6%, like pretty soon, which it doesn't look like they're going to do. And they're talking about tapering and things like this. They're, they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. All right. Well, then, given your your years of experience and uh, going back to kind of the nature of the question, uh, do we hit a point here in the approaching future where the the bottom ninety percent uh, that that doesn't own all those financial assets that are doing so well, do we get to a point where they they just really can't get by anymore with? 9% inflation uh, and still relatively stagnant real, wa real wages. Um, and and do, d does that create some sort of societal crisis here? Well, we, we, we have, now you're in California and, and California right. is interesting. You know, the, the, the socialist republic of the great state of California. Absolutely. And, 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 and you look at, at housing, for example, and, and housing affordability in California, this, the government intervention in the state of California 
adds an enormous amount to the cost of, of housing. And, and how do they do that? Well, you've got, you've got zoning restrictions and regulations. You've got building code requirements. You've got the Coastal Zone Commission. You've got commission on top of commission on, and regulation on top of regulation. And ultimately, I, I saw recently to, to buy a, a, a modest house in the LA area, I think it's, I, it, it's some astounding number and you've had an affordability issue. So that, that gets to your, what do you do with the people down at the low end of the thing? Well, to, you've got, they can't afford to buy a house. And then you, uh, you're going to get what? The government comes in and they're going to put rent controls on and all, all kinds of, re and, and, and then you get into the, that cycle, which, which makes it even less attractive to build houses, which, which even exacerbates the problem. But in the meantime, a lot of people move out of California and they go to Texas or Arizona or someplace else, Idaho. Idaho is being invaded by Californians. Uh, absolutely, so, absolutely. In fact, so, last year was the first year ever that the uh, gross population of California shrank because <laughs> right. so, so many so people are getting pushed it, out. You, you, you see it, the easiest way for people to get their head around the thing is to think about housing and affordability of housing. We right now have a have a huge backlog of we, we of uh, we should be building houses. We're not building houses. It's due to all these regulations. It's not just in California, by the way. It's a nationwide thing uh, that which 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 does indicate there is one good soft spot, I think, in the stock market long run, and that's home builders. We we got to build a lot of homes. Yeah, I've I've had some housing experts on this program in the past, and they have talked to that amidst all the other dysfunction at the core of it all is a lack of inventory. Um, so that adds validation to what you're saying there. So getting back to the question, so um, I agree with you, it, it is national. I think almost every viewer watching this has seen housing prices in their you know area go up, maybe up you know staggeringly. Rental prices have, have gone up as well. Um, so if we, could, could we get to a point in the relatively near future where with double-digit year-over-year increases in housing, in healthcare costs, in food costs, et cetera, um, that uh, there becomes so much voter backlash, populist backlash um, against the administration for, for the inflation that the, they are not able to issue as much stimulus going forward, that they actually have to start taking steps to deal with the inflation? Well, uh, yeah, but they, they, they could take, they, they could take actually the wrong steps. And one would be like rent control, for example. So what, what I, I think what this all leads to in this general narrative with, without getting out into technical weeds about price indices and all these kinds of things, you, you're, you're getting what, what we're seeing already is the, the new administration is is politicizing our lives. It's taking our freedom away. All this big government stuff they're talking about, it's it's taking people's personal liberties away. And and it's part of this narrative of income inequality, uh, affordability at the lower end, et cetera, et cetera. So 
So that's, that's bad news in general because it not only takes your freedom away and people say, oh, who cares about that, Hanky? I mean, that's an abstract thing. I mean, what, what are you talking about? No, what it does, you got to have to think about it this way. It means you've got some politician who, who knows how to get elected, but of course couldn't run a business or any, any other run anything. Yeah, exactly. Many cases, they are going to decide about you and what you get and what you do and how you're taxed and how you're regulated, more and more of our lives will be politicized and, and, and what goes on in Washington, D.C. will become more and more important. People will pick up the, the newspaper every day. Oh, it'll be like a, like a third world country where the government's intervening in everything in life. You pick up the paper to see what, what's the government done lately. That, that's that's going to bind me in. Yeah, well, I think this is such an important point because kind of where I was going with all these questions is, you know, I think the government is stuck between a rock and a hard place where the only way that it knows to drive economic growth is through inflation, right? Is this by pushing all of this liquidity out into the world. The problem is, is that's now creating an inflation problem that is turning into a real monster. And so the, the tactic it uses for the solution is now creating an equal, if not bigger problem. And given how politicians run, they only know how to like uh, intervene increasingly in ways as you're describing that, that limit us, uh, limit our freedoms, limit our opportunities. So, you know, my sort of concern here is we're entering this sort of vicious cycle where everything the government does just makes the system worse. And the response to that is only going to be to clamp down even further. Do you sort of share that outlook? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's exactly how that, that's, it, it's, it's called a, technically a negative feedback loop. So, so you're, you, you start, and, and at the extreme, in some place like Venezuela, by the way, which has had hyperinflation since November of 2016, they, they're in a death spiral, you see. It isn't just a negative feedback loop. They're actually in a death spiral. So, so this, this is really a, a very uh, important set of problems that we, we face. And, and it all comes with this, this big government. And, and, and you have to realize that the politicians, they're all top-down down people. They don't realize, they, they think that they, they suffer from what Friedrich von Hayek, the Nobel laureate in economics, termed the, the fatal conceit. They think they can plan things yeah. and socially engineer things from the top down and, and make it go and, and increase that growth potential of the U.S. up above 2%. It's 2% now. They're all everything they advertise, everything Biden is talking about right now, or AOC or any of these progressives, there Pelosi, of course, there you have another Californian, even though she was born and raised in Baltimore and Little Italy, she's Californian. And when they talk, what do they talk about? They are spending government money, they call it investing. And the implication is they are going to invest in our capacity to increase our capacity and get our potential growth rate above that 
in, in fact, it works just the other way. The, the thing you just went through, Adam, no, it, it, it ends up with a negative feedback loop. It goes down below 2%, not above 2%. Uh, well, just like Milton Friedman's license plate, it seems like, you know, these are lessons that history has taught us many times in the past. We just continue to not learn them. Um, all right, Steve. So um, in the remaining time we have left, I do want to try to get into uh, sort of, the, you know, if possible, sort of a practical, actionable uh, discussion for folks that are watching this. Your words are resonating strongly with and they're saying, OK, look, I don't necessarily want to become roadkill. Uh, as that negative feedback loop begins to build. So as you look forward, a couple of questions for you, but first is, as you look forward to sort of the, the markets, what's your best guess here? Do you see them just continuing to go higher as the inflation you see coming, you know, continues to go out there? Or do you see inflation beginning to bite in the margins? And, uh, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but almost any financial asset price at this point in time is at a record high level of valuation compared to historic metrics. So uh, I guess my question is, is do you see sort of an eternal melt up here or do you see a risk that there could be some sort of, at least asset price wise, deflationary insult here where there's a big correction? Well, I, 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 it, it, it depends on when the, when the Federal Reserve pivots and, and, and starts tightening up. Now, now if my inflation forecast is correct and- We hope you've been enjoying this discussion with economist and currency expert, Steve Hankey. The interview continues in part two, where Steve provides his preferred investments and recommended portfolio strategy for the future he sees coming. I also ask him for his outlook on hard assets, gold, and cryptocurrency. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below, or go to youtube.com slash Wealthion. Oh, but before you go, please don't forget to hit that like button and then click the subscribe button below if you haven't already, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. It only takes a second and it really does help us out, as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts we can attract onto this program in the future. Ooh. And if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Steve warns of in mind, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help you set one up. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with economist Steve Hankey.